Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you with part two on why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard to obey God? Uh, we closed off the broadcast yesterday talking about fear. And I want to begin today by asking you a question. Is it possible to be scared to death? Well, during January 17, 1994, Uh, The Northridge, Los Angeles earthquake took place, and over 100 Californians literally died of fright. According to Robert Cloner, cardiologist at the Good Samaritan Hospital in Los Angeles, his research has shown that excessive fear can cause sudden cardiac death. In many cases, the terrorized had brain triggers that released a mixture of chemicals that were so potent, it caused the heart to contract so fiercely that it never relaxed again. In a Cleveland study, coroners studied the hearts of 15 assault victims who died even though their assailants had not wounded them badly enough to fatally injure their internal organs. Charles Hirsch, now chief medical officer in New York City, determined that 11 of the 15 had torn fibers and lesions in their hearts, most likely caused by mortal fear. Several anthropologists have reported that in many primitive cultures, a curse from an all-powerful wizard or the medicine man was enough to kill. What is attributed to supernatural power actually has Medical explanations. Neurologist Martin A. Samuels of Harvard Medical School in Boston has done some research in this area. And he tells of his cat coming across a field mouse. The cat simply puts its paw on the mouse's tail and batters it about a bit. Within 20 minutes, the mouse died. Despite having no serious injuries, animals commonly drop dead under these circumstances, says Samuels. Fear is equally dangerous to a person's spiritual life. I want to just read to you a couple of verses that talk about heart failure found in the Bible. Luke chapter 21, verse 26 to 28. Jesus is speaking. He says, talking about the future. In talking about the days of tribulation, men's hearts, failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the power of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Men's hearts failing them because of fear and looking for the coming of what's going to happen in the future. Now, this is a powerful passage of Scripture. Jesus is predicting during the days of the tribulation, it's going to be such a horrendous judgment upon mankind that men are going to wish they were dead, and because they're so filled with fear with all that is happening, they're going to start laying out and having heart attacks, heart failures, all because of what they are experiencing. The psalmist David said in Psalm 73, 26, My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. 
He says that he heals the brokenhearted and he gives bandages for their wounds. The psalmist goes on to say that the Lord is near those who are discouraged. He saves those who have lost all hope. Peter says, 1 Peter 1 7, leave all of your worries with him because he cares for you. Oh, I want you to know, it is difficult sometimes to obey God because our love for him is fickle. It's so up and down. We tend to be a fickle people. If you want to be mature and solid in the faith, you will consistently love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And then you're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself. When you're living on that level of love and that deep love with the Lord, you will discover that it's no problem obeying him. It's a joy to follow his commands. His commands give you vitality and his commands give you life. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult for us to obey because we tend to have faulty thinking. Our thoughts are not always in congruence with God's word. Uh, Sometimes we believe so many things that are not so. But Jesus reminds us that he will not leave us as orphans. He is going to be with us every single step of the way. Peter says that God, our Savior, is the one that's going to make us strong in the truth. And Peter says, I'm going to remind you of these things. You know why you need to be going to church faithfully? You need to be serving faithfully, and you need to be in God's Word consistently, because it is training your mind to think properly. None of that stinking thinking going on when you're in God's Word. You have tremendous insight when you're in God's Word. When you're in God's Word and God's Word is in you, you discover that it changes the way that you think. You will take every thought, and you capture it and make it obedient to Christ. Uh, You discover that you live on a whole new level as you are in God's Word. And then if you can overcome fear, I want you to know there are top 10 things that we fear. Here they are. Failure, death, rejection, ridicule, loneliness, misery, disappointment, pain, fear of the unknown, losing freedom. When our fears are driving our lives, they become fatal. But when we cast our fears upon him, we cast our cares upon him, then we are given life in abundance. Well, there's a fourth reason why it can be so difficult to obey. It's because our hopes are fleeting. Paul writes, and he writes a book named Hebrews to Jewish believers. And he says to them, and he says in essence to us, Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold firmly to the hope that we have confessed, because we trust God to do what he has promised. I'm holding firmly to the hope. You see, hope is not like hopeful thinking. Uh, It's not hope-so thinking. Hope is that confident expectation that God's going to come through. As he has come through in my past, he will be with me in the present and he'll be with me in the future. I'm putting my confidence in him. Because I trust him, I know that he's going to do what he has promised. Have you ever thought about what causes you to have your hope diminished? Well, part of it is complaining. That's right. The danger of complaining is that we begin to dash our hopes. When our hopes are dashed, We can easily worship a false God. 
It is called the God of complaining. Jonah understood this. In Jonah chapter 2, verse number 8, it says, Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercy. When I think about dashed hopes, when your hopes are dashed, there's this tendency to complain, and it becomes chronic, and it becomes almost like enslaving. And then it leads us to live our lives in fear. The Washington Post recently ran a short article about fear. It featured a series of comics depicting common fears that children have, alongside the similar fears that are held by adults. The title of this article was Childhood Fears Versus Adult Fears. And they actually had cartoons that illustrated the following pairs. A childhood fear, doctors, right? Hate going to the doctor. Adult fear, doctor's bills. A childhood fear, bad dream. You ever have your kids wake up with a nightmare and had a bad dream? Well, what's the adult fear equivalent? Unfulfilled dreams. A childhood fear is the fear of strangers. An adult fear that coincides with that childhood fear is crippling social anxiety. Oh, a lot of people, a lot of adults have crippling social anxiety. I have people in my own family that have crippling social anxiety. A childhood fear, clowns. Adult fear, clowns, okay? Well, the article notes that though the fears of children are often discounted as irrational or silly by us older and wiser adults, they are not far off from our own fears. They're proof that no matter how old we get, we're never alone in our fears. It says in the end, however, it would seem that there is a line of logic that explains why the most common fears among adults are often as irrational as those of children. Everyone has a fear of the unknown. There will always be uncertainty about our jobs, always uncertainty about our relationships and our finances and even our health and any number of other daily concerns that bring down even the most spirit of all people. Is there a way to avoid the downward spiral that anxiety brings? In a world of chaos, as this one is that we're living in, you can definitely replace uncertainty with certainty. That is in the certainty of hope in the relationship that you have with Christ. And when I think about complaining, there's only one antidote to a complaining spirit. And in here it is. Admit it. Admit that I have a complaining spirit. Number two, confess it. Lord, I confess that I have become quite chronic in my complaining and then turn from it. Don't keep doing it. You've admitted it. You confessed it. Now it's time to turn from it. And don't forget the fourth step. If you want to truly overcome a complaining spirit, you've got to replace that complaining spirit with a spirit of thanksgiving. You know, we're quickly coming into the month of November. In my favorite months of the year, November and December, uh, November we celebrate Thanksgiving. Of course, December we celebrate Christmas. I wish we would spend 
364 days a year in Thanksgiving and one day a year complaining. Instead, it seems like we do just the opposite. One day of Thanksgiving and 364 days of complaining. Can you imagine how much your life would change if you decided that you would no longer complain? I'm not saying we're putting our heads in the sand like the ostrich and pretending that everything is hunky-dory. I'm saying we just can stop complaining and not become chronic in our complaining. Paul tells us that we should hold firmly on the hope that we have confessed because we can trust God to do what he has promised. You know, you begin to lose your hope. There's nowhere else for you to go other than to be complaining. You know, worker absenteeism. I never knew this, but I learned that worker absenteeism is tied to hope. Do you know that American businesses lose about $153 billion annually because of employees struggling with chronic health conditions? And billions more due to mild illness and family emergencies. What helps employees show up for work more often? Well, there's one word, hope. In other words, employees are excited about the company's goals and their own future. And if they are excited about the company and their own future, they miss less work. That's the conclusion of a research study conducted by management professor James Avey. Avey led a team that studied hope and absenteeism among more than 100 engineers in Fortune 100 high-tech firms, working with the firm's human resource department. Avi surveyed the participants, divided them into high-hope and low-hope workers. It was amazing. High-hope workers understand and get excited about, and they feel that they can contribute to the goals and the vision of the company. Over the course of 12 months, the high-hope engineers missed an average of 20 hours of work or less, and they were very faithful in attending work, with many of them missing no time at all. Low-hope engineers, however, missed more than 10 days of work on average. These employees cost a firm nearly four times as much as their high-hope colleagues and loss of productivity due to sick days. No other workplace measure, including job satisfaction or commitment to the company or or confidence to the job, counted more than hope in determining whether an employee would show up. Well, where are you today? You see, when you begin to lose your hope in your job, you become inconsistent. When you begin to lose your hope in God, you become inconsistent. When you become inconsistent, then you begin to complain more. I want you to know that God will give you all the hope that you want to receive if you're willing to hang in there. An acrostic for the word hope is, hold on, pain ends. Just hang in there. God will bless you in his way and in his time, but don't lose hope. Keep remaining faithful in having your hope in Christ and in Christ alone. You discover that you have this unique ability to obey God's commands. But when that hope diminishes, all of a sudden those commands of the Lord, they they feel very heavy. They feel very burdensome. That's why Jesus says, listen, team up with me. Yoke up with me. Because my burden is light. 
when we lose hope in the fact that Christ can carry that burden for us, all of a sudden, we begin to feel overwhelmed. Peter tells us to leave all your worries with him. Why? Because he cares for you. Cast it all upon him. He cares for you. Well, let's review quickly. Why is it so hard for us to obey the commands of God? Well, number one, our love can be fickle. I think about marriage. Why do marriages fall apart? Uh, Because love is very fickle. You know, I want to encourage you when you look at the definition of love, love is not a feeling. Uh, That's why uh, many people feel love is fickle because they put love in in the category of a feeling. No, no, love is not a feeling. If if it's a feeling, it will be fickle. Feelings are fickle. Love is a decision. I decide to love somebody. You know, I hope that you've decided to love your spouse till death do you part. Don't base that decision upon uh, how you feel. Uh, Base that decision upon the fact that God loves you unconditionally. You know, it amazes me that God could love me all the time. You know, half the time, I don't love myself. And I think uh, God loving me unconditionally, well, I reckon if he can love me with all my shortcomings, I certainly can love my wife. And I don't have to be fickle in that love for her. I don't have to be fickle in that love for the Lord. Secondly, our thinking can be faulty. That's stinking thinking. Have that thought and capture it. Every thought that runs through your mind is not a valid thought. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's necessary. Our thinking can be faulty. If we understand the process of our thoughts and we can think like Christ, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he lowered himself, becoming a servant, being a servant like Jesus, thinking like a servant like Jesus. We can learn to be consistent in obeying the commands of the Lord. The third reason why we have a hard time obeying the commands of Christ is because we are fearful. Our fears can be fatal. I remember playing ball and coaching teams and, and playing baseball. And I would tell them, don't be afraid of the ball. That ball is just an inanimate object, so don't be afraid of the ball. If you're afraid of the ball, you're never going to be a good hitter. And I was coaching this one guy, and, and he had what they call batter's eye. Batter's eye is where every time a ball comes past you, you blink. And he could never hit the ball because he was afraid of the ball. And he'd blink as the ball would come by him. So he was always behind in the swing. And so I told him, I said, look at that ball. Don't blink. And train your eye not to blink. And you know, when he could train his eye not to blink when the ball came past him, he learned to hit. That fear was holding him back. He was afraid he was going to hit by the ball. And so he closed his eyes real quick. And it was a, a natural reaction. And the same is true when you're fielding the ball. If in your mind... You're going to miss that ball. You will miss that ball. I remember many years ago, I was in the outfield with my brother, and my cousin hit a very high pop fly. I mean, it was one of those super high pop flies. It almost got lost in the closet. It was so high. And my brother said to me, I got it. And so he called me off. So I stepped back and, and, and uh, was near him, but let him get, go ahead and catch it. And I remember that, that ball was coming down. And all of a sudden, just before the ball landed, He said something that revealed his fear. He says, I don't have it. I don't have it. And you know what happened to that ball? It hit him right in the face. Gave him a big old shiner. And what happened? He became filled with fear. When he originally saw that ball, he said, I got it, right? But as the ball got closer to him, all of a sudden he got filled with fear. And as a result of that fear, that ball hit him right in the face. 
Our fears can be fatal. Listen, God hasn't given us that spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. And then we learn that our feelings, they can be ferocious, right? And when we think about feelings being ferocious, Hebrews 4.15 says, Our high priest is able to understand our weakness. Talking about Jesus. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet he did not sin. Hebrews 4.15. Isn't it wonderful to know that you can be set free from feelings? Not that feelings are bad. Don't, don't take me what I said wrong, but our feelings, they're ferocious, right? We can live beyond our feelings. Now, feeling better for many believers. Regrettably so, feeling better has become more important to us than finding God. You see, sin takes away that sensitive nerve that connects us with God. That nerve becomes hardened, and it leads us to run from God. You can run, but you you really can't hide, right? And how will you get away with it? Well, there's only one solution. Stop and turn around. Now, because I love my wife, I please my wife, and I follow certain rules. I limit myself because I love her. You know, sometimes the feelings are good, and sometimes the feelings are not so great, but I still limit myself. Jesus said these most penetrating words in John 14, 25. He says, all this I have spoken while I was still with you. He's talking to his disciples. He's got them gathered around him. He says, listen, I'm going to tell you what's about to happen. I'm going to leave you, but even though I'm leaving you, I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. So our feelings are ferocious, right? And if we look at our feelings, we've got to live beyond our feelings. And here is a promise that is given. We've got to be standing in the promises of God. Uh, and, And as you stand on the promises of God, it will guide your feelings. Because feelings are neither good nor bad, right? God created us to feel certain things. And sometimes those feelings will compel us and drive us to do certain things. Uh, and, and, but but you got to realize they can be ferocious, right? Jesus reminds us of the promise. The Holy Spirit, whom God is going to send in the name of Jesus, is going to teach you and remind you of everything that I have said. Now, we are living in a day and age where, where most Americans reject moral absolutes. You know, past generations of Americans, they viewed God as the basis of truth and of morality. Unfortunately, not anymore. A new study shows that most Americans reject any absolute boundaries regarding their morality, with 58% of adults surveyed believing instead that moral truth is up to the individual to decide. Well, according to these findings, Pollster George Barner, he says, belief in the absolute moral truth rooted in God and God's word is rapidly eroding among American adults. This is regardless if they are in church or not in church. Within every political segment, every age group, 
even among those who identify God as the source of truth. There is a substantial rejection of any absolute standard of morality in American culture. As a result, perhaps most stunning is the fact that American Christians, those who hold on to traditional moral standards, are now at the point where the majority of born-again Christians don't embrace absolute truth. Now, it's no wonder that we are, are, are having trouble navigating through our lives. The study found that the pull of secularism is especially strong among younger Americans, those under the age of 30. That's why we need to understand that truth can change everything. Jeff Myers wrote in his book, We live in a world where we cannot go a single day without hearing that truths are based on how we see things rather than on what exists to be seen. Truth is not out there to be found. It is in here to be narrated. I pray that you know the truth, and the truth will indeed set you free. Well, join me tomorrow for part three of this broadcast. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.